Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, choir worship team today. We're so glad all of you are here this afternoon, chosen to worship with us, and I pray that you have been blessed by that decision. I'm going to preach for a few minutes if that's all right. And don't get too comfortable because I believe God's not finished. God's not finished. It was in Paris in the year of 1889 when the great spectacle known as the Eiffel Tower was unveiled. And for the next 41 years, the Eiffel Tower would be known as the tallest structure in the world, standing at 986 feet tall. It consisted, when you look at the fabrication of that, that structure, 12,000 prefabricated wrought iron pieces is what was put together to form it. And it took civilization 6,000 years to reach this great milestone where there was something that was erected this tall on the face of the earth. But in the last 130 years or so, uh, only eight other uh, edifices, eight, eight other skyscrapers, if you will, have claimed uh, the title of the world's tallest building, of course, the Eiffel Tower being the first. But then after the Eiffel Tower came the Chrysler Building. The Chrysler Building was located in New York City, and in 1930, this mega structure, after being in construction for more than two years, topped out at 1,046 feet. Its reign, however, as the tallest building in the world was short-lived because just a year later in 1931, the Empire State Building also located in New York City, surpassed the Chrysler building as the tallest structure in the world, rising to 1,250 feet tall. And engineers around the world were amazed that a mere, listen to this, one year and 45 days elapsed for the building of that structure. I told the first service, I'll say it again, we're just trying, we're just trying to get a permit <laughs> to build a parking lot. And they did that in a year and 45 days. 42 years later, though, in 1973, the World Trade Center in New York City became the tallest building in the world, rising to 1,368 feet from start to finish. It took them 14 years to build the World Trade Center. Then only a year after that, the Sears Tower in Chicago eclipsed the World Trade Center as the tallest structure, rising 86 feet taller than the world uh, than, than the Sears Tower, or than the World Trade Center. And it was it was the tallest building in the world for 24 years. And then in 1998, the Petronas Towers, located in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, became the tallest building in the world by a mere 22 feet. Five years those towers were under construction. 
Then in 2004, after seven years of construction and rising to an astounding, at that time, 1,667 feet, the Taipei Financial Center became the world's largest, tallest building. And lastly, finally, January 4th of 2010, the same year this building was built, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai was named the world's tallest building. Listen to this. Rising to more than a, a half mile at a staggering 2,722 feet in the air. By way of comparison, the Eiffel Tower is under 1,000 feet. And this one is 2,700 feet. And this construction lasted a little more than five years to build that building. Listen, each of these structures are, are monumental. Each of these structures are incredible feats and great accomplishments. And at some point, they were nothing more than a person's dream. But with time, the dream evolved into a vision. And with more time, the vision became a reality. But without exception, everything that we do, everything that man accomplishes requires time. Maybe it was a year. Maybe it was 14 years. Maybe it was, maybe it was five years to build these buildings. But everything that we do requires space and it requires time. Thinking beyond the work of our hands you look, at, you look at our world and you look at the galaxies. Listen, there are a billion plus stars in our galaxy known as the Milky Way. What an expanse. And there are a hundred million other galaxies in known space. That's the ones we know about. And it's theorized that known space is only a billionth of actual space. Is your head hurting yet? The star known as Antares is so vast that it is 883 times the size of our sun. In our human minds, we struggle to comprehend the vast expanses of this universe, let alone other universes. But let's bring it into focus and bring it down to where we live here on earth, here on our planet. There are over 380,000 known species of plants, and they're still discovering new species. There's over 34,300 different kind of fish and aquatic animals in the ocean, and they're still discovering new species. And then beyond that, I mean, we could go on and on. There's volcanoes, and there's deserts, and there's rivers, and there's oceans, and there's lakes, and there's mountains, and there's valleys, and there's prairies, and there's canyons. Yet when God got ready to create, he's not like us. He didn't need time. He didn't need any time to create plant life. He did not require years to create the animal kingdom. No, he simply said, let there be. And it was. We, on the other hand, we, we are bound by time. We always think in terms of days. We think in terms of weeks. We think in terms of months and years. Everything that we're involved with takes time. Everything that we do takes time. Our bodies require time to heal, don't they? 
Our minds require time to learn and to be educated. Our careers take time to develop. You got to put in the time. Because we live in time and because we need time to do anything, we have also mistakenly projected that onto God and we think that God must need time as well. But I'll tell you today, God doesn't need time. All God needs is a moment. That's all God needs is just a moment. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1 says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning of time, God was already there. Before time existed, God was there. Why? Because I'll tell you, God exists outside of time. Literally, time is part of God's creation. He didn't create it for himself. He created it for you and I so that we could mark the days, so that we could number our days. Listen, God does not need time. We, you and I, we need time. We, we, we think about our lives and we have, we have a past, what's already transpired. We have a history and hopefully we have a future, something to look forward and ahead to. But can I tell you that God doesn't have a past or a future? He is the ageless one. Hebrews 13 and 8 informs us that Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not age. He does not change. 2 Peter 3 and 8 says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one single day. Why? Because... God exists outside of time. Time is irrelevant to God. We might need it, but God doesn't. All God needs is right now. All God needs is the present. Let me continue on. At least, at least eight times the Bible specifically refers to sudden destruction. It's not going to come over time, but suddenly it's going to happen. Lamentations 4 and 6 states that Solomon, excuse me, Sodom was overthrown, and I quote, in a moment. It happened in a moment. I want you to think briefly with me right now how quickly our world can change. Just with a phone call, your world can change. Just with some, some news that comes breaking, your world can change. With a post on Facebook, your world can change. I vividly remember September 11, 2001. I remember where I was, and if you were alive in that day, you probably do too. I remember what I was doing. I remember what I felt. And in that moment, our world changed, did it not? And the next time, listen, the next time you read or hear about a nation falling, a nation crumbling to its knees, I want you to remember that the Bible forecasted that. The Bible prophesied that and the, because the Bible says that God can destroy a nation in a moment. But it also, on the other hand, says, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah said, in an instant I can build a nation. In just one instant, listen, you can wake up tomorrow morning and read the headlines and discover that overnight a whole brand new country appeared. 
a brand new country had been formed and risen up. And I know our minds have difficulty wrapping around that truth, but quite literally, God has that kind of ability. In one moment, he can bring a nation down, and the next, he can raise another one up. Several times when referring to miracles, the writers of the gospel, they use the word immediately. Would you say immediately? Immediately, they would say. This happened immediately. This took place immediately. I want you to think about that nameless woman who came to Jesus in Mark 5 and 25. Here's what it says about her. A certain woman. She wasn't known by name, but she was known by her predicament. She had a flow of blood. An issue of blood, the King James says, for for 12 years. Church, literally, her sickness was so dominant in her life that it became her identity. This woman with the issue, this woman, she'd been struggling. She'd been, she'd, she'd been looking for all the answers and solutions. She'd been searching. She had an issue. She had an issue. She had an affliction. For 12 years, the Bible tells us that she suffered. She suffered from the affliction itself, and she suffered from, as Mark wrote in his gospel, many things at the hands of the physicians. Religiously, Levitical law would have her, would make her, make her an outcast because she was considered unclean. And because of that, she couldn't be in, in places of worship. She couldn't enter into the temple like other people could. And, and then financially, her ailment cost her every penny. She had exhausted her resources. In those 12 long years, in those 12 eternal years of emotional and spiritual and physical and financial ruin. She reads the end. Mark chapter 5 verse 27 says, but when she heard about Jesus, there's just something when you hear about Jesus, isn't there? Come on, it's not the same as when you hear about Muhammad. It's not the same as when you hear about Buddha. There's something about the name of Jesus that the atmosphere just begins to change when you speak, when you utter, when you hear the name of Jesus. She'd been struggling. She'd been looking to physicians. She'd been looking to man to help her. But when she heard about Jesus, She came from behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment. Here's what she said in her mind. If I can, if I may only touch his clothes, I wish we could have that kind of faith today. If I could just get into his presence, if I could just get near him, if I could just touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Praise God. God responds to that kind of faith. Verse 29, if we can put it on the screen, church, what's the first verse there? Immediately, the Bible says the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt she felt something happening. She felt something going on. She felt the touch of God. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Listen, the Bible tells us immediately it happened. Immediately, she felt healing. In a one life-changing moment, she intersected with the timeless God, and 12 years of damage was repaired prepared in a moment, immediately, instantaneously. 
Mark 5 and 30 continues, it says, and Jesus immediately, there's that word again, knowing in himself something. The Bible says virtue flowed out of him. He knew himself that power had gone out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? For the casual bystander that day, it was just a, it was just a meaningless moment. Jesus is confused. What's, what's going on here? But for that desperate little lady, it was a moment in which humanity intersected with divinity, where humanity connected with divinity. And in one single, solitary moment of time, a life that had been wrecked was restored in the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah, I think we ought to worship the Lord for that. Some of you are already doing it, but I think it'd be great if the rest of us joined in. Listen, all it takes is a moment. All it takes is a touch from God. All it takes is a word from the Lord spoken in your direction. Oh, hallelujah, somebody give him praise today. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to know that when God is involved, it's never too late. Come on, your situation is not too late. Your situation is not too far gone. Think about this. Everything you are can be changed in a moment. Everything that you know can be changed in a moment. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah wrote that God said, in an instant I can forgive sins. It doesn't take him long to warm up to it. He can do it in a moment. I know our minds might struggle with that. We might have, have difficulty with immediate forgiveness. And, and we come closer to believing that God can forgive us and sometimes that we can forgive ourselves. But even when it comes to God forgiving us, how many times do we find ourselves repenting over the same thing? How many times do we find ourselves circling back and, and praying that prayer again? You've already prayed it five times. You've already asked him ten times. We know, we know in our heart that, that it took us a long time to get where we were to, to that place of sinfulness. We, we know in our heart that it took us a long time to transgress. I mean, some of us lived in our sin for years and years before we came to God. And as a result, we think that it should take God time in order to forgive us. We think that it ought to take God time to make our hearts clean. And so we struggle sometimes to believe that a simple heart prayer, heartfelt and, and sincere prayer of repentance could be answered so quickly by an all-knowing and all-powerful God. We think we've got to earn it. We think we've got to get to the place where we deserve to be forgiven. But can I tell you today that paying penance is a man-made idea? And on the other hand, instant forgiveness, that's a God idea. That's a Bible idea. Oh, hallelujah, confess your faults. Hallelujah, confess the fault, and he will forgive. If you will just confess, he is faithful and just to forgive. Oh, praise God. Is anybody thankful for the mercy of the Lord? Is anybody grateful for the grace of God? At the very moment that you turn your heart to heaven, at the moment that you begin to utter the name of Jesus, at the moment that you hit your knees in prayer and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. I need to be cleansed by your blood. Listen, I believe that it happens in that moment. 
We just need to receive it. We just need to have faith in it that God can do it in a moment. Come on, you might have spent a lifetime messing up your life, but God can forgive you in a moment. You might have spent a decade doing all of the dirty deeds of the world, but God in a moment. Oh, hallelujah. Can I get a witness in the house today? Is there anybody who's been liberated? Is there anybody who has been lifted? Is there anybody who has been washed? Is there anybody who's been purified? Is there anybody who's had a moment with God that changed everything? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, you might not be able to forgive yourself, but God says it's forgiven. Hallelujah, you might not be able to get over your past, but God says it's forgiven. God says it's done away with. God says it's under the blood. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. Hallelujah, it's under the blood. And Jesus, let it go. Let it go. Release it in Jesus' name. Believe him for it. Praise God. I feel like the Holy Ghost is working right now. I feel like there's somebody who needs to latch a hold of this. It's under the blood. And gee, quit beating yourself up about that. Come on, you've confessed it. You've found an altar of repentance. Embrace the love of God today. Hallelujah. He says you're made new. He's a, you're a new creature in him. He says you're forgiven in Jesus' name. He says you're redeemed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Go ahead, Zion, that's all right. Let God minister to you, bud. Mm, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, praise God. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. Let me hurry. Acts 16 tells a story of a young demon-possessed girl. She began, to, she began to track Paul and Silas. She began to follow them around. And while, while following them as they went about ministering and doing the work of the kingdom. The Bible tells us in verse 16 of Acts, verse 17 of Acts 16, that these men, here's what she would say. She'd go around wherever they were and she would cry out, these men, they're the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. I don't see any lies there, do you? No lies. Luke writes in verse 18 that she did this for many days. So at first, maybe Paul and Silas was like, hey, we got free advertisement, free publicity. But over a while, it started grating on Paul's nerves, and he knew what was going on. He knew, he knew she was being taken advantage. He knew she was possessed. He knew she was bound. He knew what was going on. Started getting on his nerves. So that verse, verse 18, goes on to say, but Paul, greatly annoyed. Come on, it ought to annoy us when somebody is under the thumb of the devil. It ought to infuriate us when somebody's being taken advantage of by sin. 
Come on, it, it ought to stir something. It ought to make us fighting mad. The Bible says Paul turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out when? That very hour. Immediately, church, that demon left her. Oh, glory to God. It's not the end of the account because unfortunately there's some very cruel men that used her plight. They used her possession to make money off of her. And, and when the girls' masters realized that they had lost their method for making money, they went after Paul and Silas. They went on the attack and they drugged them before the rulers of the city and the magistrates and they accused them of causing them exceeding trouble and for teaching unlawful customs. This is what verse 22 of Acts 16 says. Then the, then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates, here's what they did to Paul and Silas. They tore off their clothes clothes. They're shaming them publicly. Commanded that they be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. It's not bad enough that they strip them. It's not bad enough that they beat them. Now they throw them into the dungeon, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, the jailer put them in the inner prison and he fastened their feet and stocks. So let me recap just real quick. First off, they were unjustly accused. They were doing the work of God. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were unjustly accused. Second, they were arrested and imprisoned. Their clothes were stripped from their bodies. They were beaten. They were thrown into jail. And their feet, they can't move their feet because they're shackled. Listen, needless to say, that's a very unpleasant day. However, verse 25 tells us this. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They're not doing what maybe you or I would do after a day like that. They're not doing what people in the rest of the world would do after a day like that. But when you look in and what you see happening next, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I want you to hear me today. Paul and Silas were not in denial. They, they were not trying to think themselves happy. They, they weren't trying to, hey, let's just imagine that, that, that we're on a, some tropical beach somewhere. That's not what they were doing. They, they knew what was going on. They, they were still feeling the sting of being beaten. They were still feeling the scorn of being publicly shamed. They knew how dire their situation was. They knew that this could mean their life. Even still, they had faith that God was in charge. Even though things took a turn, even though they just witnessed the worst day possible, they were convinced, though I'm struggling, though I'm going through it, though it's dark, though it's midnight in my life, my God still reigns, my God still rules, my God is in charge, my circumstances don't look good, but God is still in charge. I'm not on the mountain, I'm in the valley, but God still reigns. So because they had the proper perspective, come hell or high water, God's still in control. Come on, who's at the center of your universe today? Who's at the center of your universe today? If you're at the center, then you're not going to be able to worship and praise when things are going bad. 
But if God's at the center, you're able to see past your affliction. You're able to see past your depression. You're able to see past that recent defeat and say, hey, my God still reigns. My God's still in control. He's still in control. In spite of all that had gone wrong, Paul and Silas still believed. So they prayed and sang praises in the dungeon. Verse 26 tells us what happened next. Look at that first word. Suddenly. Somebody shout it out. Suddenly. Instantaneously. Immediately. In a moment. There was a great earthquake. Mm, hallelujah. I'd be all right if God sent some of you an earthquake today. Come on, there's some things that need to be shaken loose in your life. There's some things that need to be shaken free in your life. Uh, suddenly, there was a great earthquake uh, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everybody's chains were loosed. Uh, listen, in one single solitary second, God literally shook their world up. One moment they were beaten and left to rot in the prison. And the next moment, the jailer is cleaning their wounds and feeding them dinner. Listen, church, all God needs is right now. All God needs is a moment. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.